Hey there, everybody. This is Josh Rayner, Editor-in-Chief of DC Comics News. Are you planning on heading to Wizard World Comic Con sometime this year? Well, we have a great deal for you. If you are planning to do so, you can get 10% off your ticket purchase by using the code DCNEWS at checkout. That's DC. N-E-W-S at checkout to save 10% off your tickets for Wizard World. And that's for any city that, uh, that they will be doing. So make sure you head over to www.wizardworld.com tickets and use the code DCNEWS for 10% off. Whether it's the beginning, the end, the middle, or the weekend of your week, every week is a new chance for new DC Comics to hit the shelves, to end up in your purchase bag to bring home, and for me to spin on the DC Comics News spinner rack to figure out which five I'm going to talk with you today. This is the DC Comics News spinner rack episode number nine. I'm your host, Seth Singleton, and I'm going to dive right in with Teen Titans number 30. Now I really enjoy the fact that this one picks up right after the events that we saw in Deathstroke number 43. And to go ahead and just put that in a nutshell, essentially, Deathstroke dies. Yeah, it's Red Arrow who pulls the trigger, despite all of the taunting and teasing that Deathstroke was essentially poking Damian Wayne with. And really, what we get a chance to see here is just how much of the effect the revelation of not only that death, but of the prison that was kept a secret, is having on the entire Titans team. Now, a lot of things were going on, and really simply, Deathstroke's death was just a part of it. You know, what's been going on in this book so far has been that Damien has basically been trapping criminals in the basement of Mercy Hall and holding them there in a makeshift prison which he eventually added Destro to, and Destro eventually escaped. Chaos, Havoc, a Terminus program that Damien had created, had been uh, unleashed that poisoned all of the prisoners, and if they left the building, they would die. And the end result was Red Arrow releasing her arrow string and firing an arrow into the eye of Slade Wilson, and that's the end of Deathstroke number 43. Here we pick up in Mercy Hall with Red Arrow cleaning off the roof and why I picked it up really is about these elements this this part at the end where we get a chance to see the team trying to recover and trying to deal with you know the the fallout from not only the death of Slade Wilson but also the revelation that certain members of the team knew about the prison and weren't telling others and that friendships were betrayed and so were trusts and there's going to be a cost to that and there's a lot of great conflict, whether, um, well, it moves me right perfectly into my favorite parts, which is how this affects each team member, whether it's Kid Flash and Roundhouse, Kid Flash and Red Arrow, everybody in Damien, Jin, who really seems to sort of, well, just hammer it home with that idea of, you know, you lied and we, we trusted you and that's a really difficult betrayal. And it, it gets worse when Damien tries to reach out and touch Jin, and Crush, who's having no part of it, starts just smashing 
everyone basically starts fighting and there's a big challenge to the the story which is how does a team move on after something like this now that things are known what's going to happen next um, i really enjoyed uh the art among my favorites some great splash pages whether it's uh, Damien unleashing on Crush, Crush unleashing on Damien, or for my final splash page, spoiler, when Crush is suddenly upended by Lobo, and it's revealed that he's now going to be in the next arc of the story, and any chance of immediate resolution must be delayed while this new chaos of Lobo enters the scene. Now, despite all my excitement, that doesn't mean there weren't some least favorite moments in this book that I struggled with. Overall, I, I felt like there was almost no attention paid to the idea that maybe someone needs to fess up to a larger body and bring in some outside, I don't know what you want to call it, governance or oversight, but that if the team's struggling to address this problem on their own, they need to figure out how to find someone who can help them see past the emotions. And while I know that it's still really early in the story, for these characters and for the situation they're facing, I feel like it's something that needs to be addressed quickly due to the fact that they're dealing with immense powers and they're dealing with a crime that is going to echo and that this is something that, you know, will get out about not only the team, but about how they treated prisoners, their criminal actions aside, there was no due process. And there's been a history of heroes making these sorts of decisions and it really creating a backlash for uh, for just about everybody involved, whether they know about it or not. When it comes to the art, my biggest issue really with this one is I didn't like the way Kid Flash was drawn. Uh, there's at least one splash page where I feel like just the image alone feels like it's lacking proportion. And later when he's in a confrontation with the team and Damien, I almost feel like he just looks pouty. And it was really difficult for me. It was distracting. And I think that was my biggest problem. Now, given all that, the pluses, the minuses, you might be thinking that my score could be falling maybe on the lower side. But actually, overall, this book was really solid in my eyes, and I'm giving it a, a solid four. It's why I added it to the spinner rack. It's why I wanted to make it my first book to choose. And really, the only thing left to know is, what was your score? Tag us on social media. Let us know however you can. Leave a comment any old way. But let's move on to book number two. And I debated on whether or not I wanted to save this one for like the end or the middle, but I just got so excited that my second book for the Spinner Rack is Naomi Number 5, which is just such a gorgeous book. Um, essentially, what's been happening up until now is that Naomi's been unraveling a mystery that is this sort of secret about her birth and who she is and where she came from. And through it has been this really beautiful origin story that defies expectations at each turn. And because of that, it is a real treasure. I mean, Naomi is a, a pearl of a book in the DC universe, and it's one that I'm going to continue to enjoy as long as it continues to do all the things that feel so authentic and honest. And Naomi uh, has really, you know, inspired me to, to pick it almost every time because I believe it represents an element in comic book storytelling that is so key to the power and beauty of comic books when they they hit all the right notes and it feels like this amazing orchestral symphony and you're considering yourself just 
lucky to be a part of it, blessed to be able to witness it. And uh, I almost have to chuckle because it's like I want to quote the Family Guy line, isn't this a great time to be alive? Which is just such a silly thing because shouldn't every time be a great time to be alive? Uh, I really enjoyed everything about Naomi. The, the reason I picked it is for all the things I list above. And uh, not only are there the parts of it that I think make it so great to enjoy, but they make it so easy to pick. When it comes to my favorite parts of the story, it's really hard to narrow down, but there are just so many great keystones to you know point to. And these are not just keystones, but they're milestones, whether it's the opening with Naomi showing up to tell her friend all about her origin, which is essentially what we were left with as a cliffhanger at the end of last issue. And now that it's known, instead of revealing it right in the presence of her parents, who's who she was with at the end of last issue, she arrives at the home of her friend and her friend of course is playing cello and a bit on the nerdier side as far as uh, how she's represented in the story quiet not a lot of friends and when she appears for you know this introduction with her friend and telling her everything about her life you really get this sense from Naomi that hers is a story that that's just really gorgeous in the fact that it's based on such a simple need, which, as she describes, is the need for her mother to protect her, and how she comes from one of the parallel Earths, and that on the Earth she comes from, her parents, both of them, were part of 29 people who had been given this amazing gift of godlike powers, and that after a series of divisions, a war had broken out, territories were carved, and that no other recipient of these gifts had been able to procreate, either with each other or with another average human, non-powered human, but that somehow Naomi's parents were able to, and that when they did this, they were able to bring about something new and unique, something more powerful than anyone else, including the main big bad guy, who is either named Zumbedo or Zumbado, and I'm okay with me not getting it correct one way, both ways, or neither ways. But so much of this story is really also about my favorite parts in the art. It's just lovely. There's such a great glow to these images that feel so iconic, that feel so powerful and special. Uh, everything from the moment of Naomi's arrival to the moment when the 29 are revealed to the danger of Zimbato to the sudden appearance of Zimbato at the end of the story to threaten Naomi and her friend and to raise the stakes even higher. Um, absolutely just gorgeous stuff. Uh, I'd say pick it up simply because I'm gushing that much about it. But honestly, if you just look at the cover, you're going to want to get this book simply for the art that you're going to see there because it's echoed throughout the book. And when it comes to my least favorite parts, I don't have any right now. This book is just gorgeous. On the story side, it's just lovely. I'm gushing. I feel a little too much like a fan and I don't care. When it comes to the art, there are no least favorite moments. I love everything about it. It does not fail me in any way. There's no moment when I'm looking or asking for more or feeling like it was sloppy or lacking detail. It's just a stunning work. Um, this book is a five. This book is a solid five. It introduces an origin in a way that I fall in love with and it's easy to do because it's an origin that's based on love and not only the love between two parents but the love for their child and the sacrifices they're willing to make and without going too much into too much more gushing. That's my pick for number two on the DC Comics new spinner rack.
which is followed closely behind by my third pick, which is going to be High Level. High Level, if you've been keeping up, has been on my radar on a few occasions. It made the spinner rack the last time for its previous issue, simply because I enjoyed so much about what it's doing. And really, it's a story about a future in which there are so many different worlds, so many different places that are a threat and a danger, and the suggestion that there's only one place, High Level, where everything is safe, of course, with the understanding that you work and you work hard for it and that you are thankful for the work and you desire working hard. And really why I picked it is the fact that I, I love the way this book is presenting so many of the similar tropes and popular tropes of a post-apocalyptic Aaron and yet at the same time avoids all of the things that may make post-apocalyptic feel like it's something that I'm way too comfortable saying or even sort of like understanding as an idea that's so commonly represented as a future when everything goes wrong. And yet somehow this sort of possibility of a right is made. And I love the way that it's got this uh, great thing going on that moves me first right into my favorite parts of the story. And that's the relationship between 13 and Minnow. 13, who is this sort of streetwise kid, and Minnow, who's this amazing sort of wonderkin who can do so many great things. And how she uh, sort of provides a little bit of that spark, that hope, that innocence that 13 almost wants to protect. And it's that need to protect that drives this story after uh, 13 was beaten and abandoned and uh, loses Minnow only to find herself in this sort of outlying land. And it's really just a neat primitive environment that introduces her to its world and also how it's become this savage place. But that how there's so much more going on than what 13 originally believed when she finds out that her attacker was found dead minnow is missing believed to have been taken to pleasure island and that there she will be sold and never seen again and the need behind 13 to find minnow to protect her and to go to such great lengths to a place where as these people in the savage land explain there's no way that she might ever come back from and that they can't go it's too dangerous for them and my favorites among this is really the the art where essentially you've got these great comparisons of this very rough savage world followed by this amazing pleasure island environment that's just full of all the different things that sort of make pleasure and excitement and lust and desire all great elements there's a great cast of characters who are represented both visually and through the storytelling. And I like overall the sense that there is this like shading and tone and hue of like blues and grays that seems to echo both from the Savage Land and Pleasure Island and also feels as though it's this uh, very simply understood effect of where these places exist. And I love the way that this creates such a great contrast when at the end there's an opportunity to go directly to high level and the view suddenly feels so crisp and so clean so much like a, a, a digital picture that doesn't mean that there weren't some issues for me for example when it comes to the story side you might have heard me saying savage lands it's the sunken lands but the way they're described as savage just made it seem so common that in some ways i found myself thinking about other places known as savage lands and I felt like that was something that could have just had this extra little touch of originality. Pleasure Island for me also fell into the same sort of category simply because uh, it felt, and I'm pretty sure it is, 
the name from Pinocchio. And that sort of pulled me out for a second because I found myself going, okay, so this is like a dirty grown-up Pinocchio sort of thing. Where's the catch? When in reality, that, that didn't seem to be what Pleasure Island was at all. Maybe it's an ironic twist on the name in that there are dark things that go on there, but only if you perceive things that are liberating or freeing or not bound by any sexual norms or desire norms that outside of that they they might seem dark and displeasing and when it comes to the least favorite it was really difficult to pull anything that stuck for me on the art side uh you know my only issues were really just a few moments when it felt like uh, a bit of the coloring or a bit of the shaping that was so detailed and so perfect in so many other ways it seemed to be lacking a lot of the elements that that would make it so sharp and defined otherwise and yet when you stacked up the favorites against the least favorites this book was easy to rank as a 4.5 it was just shy of a 5 and really the only reason is it's hard for me to give out more than one five and i'd already given one to naomi so my score for this one 4.5 your score is something you're going to share with me soon because I believe that you want to share your score too because this is part of that discussion we're having right now. Who can agree and disagree on the same five books every week? Almost nobody. But talking about their strengths and weaknesses and comparing them side by side, that's a conversation I'm looking forward to engaging with you as soon as I get to hear your score. Now book number four for me was Justice League number 24. And essentially what's been going on here is the Justice League have jumped forward into that future dimension, the sixth dimension. And while there, they've seen a, a future that the World Forager has, World Forger, has been creating and is trying to set into reality. And in order to get that to work, he needed to separate Superman from the team and then also Batman. Superman to a place where he couldn't essentially impact anything that was going on in that now present of the sixth dimension and Batman so that he could be close enough to the World Forger so that the World Forger can convince Batman that he is the only one capable of bringing about the sort of reality that they're currently in that that will be concrete once Batman does what only he can do which is to make the hard decisions for the Justice League and decide instantly who the right people are who the wrong people are and eliminate the wrong people so that the right people can move forward and there can be a future. And there's been all these great conflicts that have been uh, available in the previous issues leading up to this, whether it's the future child of Shaira and John Johns, or the uh, arrival at the end of last issue of the Legion of Doom, who are some sort of like, I don't know, uh, well, I do know <laughs> they're like guerrilla fighters who are striking back against the World Forger and the future that the current modern Six Dimension Justice League has created. When it comes to my favorites on this one, it's really easy story-wise. The story just keeps pushing and pushing and pushing. We pick up in this issue with the Justice League team that was rescued by the Legion of Doom being pursued by Lois Lane, Jimmy Olsen, and this cadre of unbelievable warships. And, you know, you've got Darkseid at the wheel and Grodd arming the weapons and all of these great examples, whether it's Thal, whether it's uh, the nemesis of Wonder Woman, Cheetah, 
And it ends with an escape that finalizes when the team jumps into a cannon chute and is fired out into a portal that returns them back to the sixth dimension where Batman was about to put on this amazing suit that would give him access to all the knowledge he needed and was destroyed by an insider kind of mole working for the Legion of Doom. And that's all just great storytelling. I don't care who you are. Now, the beginning part that's really sort of fun is this great concept that uh, was talked about by the DC Comics News podcast team last week about, you know, Dear Justice League, and does anyone ever make a mistake? Does Superman ever make mistakes? And it actually opens this issue with, uh, you know, an example of Superman having a memory. And he's having this memory of uh, a mistake or a regret. And it's right as he's exposed to this cold, dark emptiness that has been created when, in last issue, Superman had made a chance to get off of the place he was trapped and fly towards the sun that the World Forger then gave Batman the control over so that Batman could move it out of reach of Superman's powers of flight and ability to access the the life-giving forces from that sun should he get close enough to it. And that's all depicted really well with this great element of the art in the storytelling, whether it's the brightness at the beginning of the memory or the cold darkness of when Superman is falling through the shade and into the emptiness and the fears or these great space shots of this tiny little rogue ship being chased by Lois Lane and Jimmy Olsen or the portal that they dive into or the sort of chair at the center of everything that feels a little bit like Cerebrus or Cerebus from, uh, you know, that uh, marvelous competitor over there. And, and really, these art elements make it so great that it's hard to move right into any least favorites, but that doesn't mean that there aren't a few on the story side, which is really Legion of Doom make a great appearance here, but it feels relatively short-lived. It was at the end of last issue, it exists in this issue, and then suddenly they're gone. And some of the other parts of it that feel like wild, neat ideas to bandy around and words that sound like a lot of fun, essentially uh, using a sleeping effect to knock everyone unconscious and separate them, you know, from their opportunity to get back to the sixth dimension felt like felt like something that could have been done in a different way with a little bit more challenge to it. I mean, essentially, it felt like a sleeping gas that they were trying to escape, except a futuristic version of it. On the art side, so many things work so well that it's really hard to get mad at any parts of the art that, overall, I really enjoyed. This book did a lot of great things for me. It's building up to, I know, uh, a really fun issue number 25. So it's a 4.5 in my book. And that's just my score. Your score is something that we're looking forward to hearing. And I know you're going to share when you go ahead and leave your comment on whatever social media platform you want and add that DC Comics news. But we can talk more about all of our scores once I finish up with our last book, which is number five from the DC Comics news spinner rack. And I have to be completely honest that this one was hard. This was actually a really difficult choice. I felt I had at least three or four books that also could have filled in this spot. But when it came right down to it, I went ahead and went with Superman number 11. And I found it interesting because I wanted to drop right into this this book that offered, you know, so many different viewpoints, whether it's uh, a glance at the uh, the sort of threat of, of Zod and his team up with this new character who says that they're the ones who destroyed... Uh, Krypton, or it's the element of story where 
essentially Superman's father took John Kent and brought him to the future and now he's returned because he was escaping and what really got me was that in the midst of everything going on what you've got is just a big space battle and it's Superman and John and it's him sort of grappling with so many different things that he wants to be able to do and so many things that he's forced to do and how in the midst of it he's still just Superman he's still just this amazing guy who can do so many great things and doesn't ever well doesn't ever stop and even though he's expressing these doubts and when he is he's talking about how he's thinking about them at super speed or later when he's having a conversation with Jor-El and it's at super speed and John wants to jump in because they let him know that there's only so much time that they have to actually act and all these different forces who have been brought together as part of this chaos really just make it so easy to, to point to all of those elements as being part of my favorite parts of the story. They're not just what's been going on up to this point in this issue. They're also what make this story so enjoyable for me. Um, I know that there's been a lot of buildup to this story so far, but for me it was fun to just drop right in and see all the chaos going on and watch Superman continue to be the great Superman he is even while struggling, while trying to protect his son, even while facing off with a known threat like Zod, even when facing off with this new threat, you know, who, who claims to have been the destroyer of Krypton and, and why that's a reason that, that it and Zod should, should be teaming up. And on the art side, so many things work so well that I, I really struggle to single out just one. But there, there are some really beautiful splash pages. There are some details like the reflections in a character's eye of a scene that's coming up on the next page, the next panel, and how it's, it's all really tied together very nicely. And I feel that that's something that could be really difficult in such a big space battle-like environment and with so many different things going on. But that when it's paid enough attention to, it, it makes those battles feel really close, really intimate. And that was one of the strengths behind this issue. Now... That doesn't mean there weren't some lease sides as well. Of course, there are some issues for me about how all these different forces are coming together so quickly and how it is that Superman can read what's going on and still be so amazing and super uh, in his response to everyone. Granted, it helps that it's described that he knows the players on the scene and how to respond, but it would almost seem as though the, the threat would be more dangerous if they weren't responding in nature or character, and that made it harder for him to deal with it while also dealing with the strain of protecting his son and facing off against nemeses that he already knows can take his life and will take the life of his son just to hurt him. On the art side, that was really hard. There weren't very many least favorite parts on the art. I... I really struggle even now as I'm just looking through this book and flipping through the pages. So many things work so well. The lighting, the shading, the inks. It, it was really just a solid book. I'm going to go ahead and give this one a 4.5 as well. I really didn't feel like it stood up to a 5 because of the issues I had on the least uh, favorite side of storytelling. But overall, this was a strong book. And it made me actually want to go back and understand the elements leading up to what's been happening to see if they would better inform this big sort of space battle, this epic moment. And yet, I still enjoyed it so much without having all that information that it was really nice to be able to end with this solid 4.5. Your score is something that I'm looking forward to hearing about, and I know the rest of the team will enjoy talking about when we get a chance to compare yours and mine 
And then we get to have that great discussion about, well, where's the wiggle room? Who's willing to yield? And how can we talk more about these great things we love when it comes to these comic books? Now, of course, I want to remind you that there are so many great ways that you can let us know exactly what you're thinking, exactly what your scores are. First off, this DC Comics News podcast is available on all the major podcast platforms, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or Google Play. And you can head on over to your favorite, subscribe to the podcast, and then once you do, rate and review. One, because, you know, you want to make us happy, you want to make me smile, and two, because we honestly want to know what you're thinking. And then two, keep in mind the fact that when it comes to tagging us with your score, you can follow us on whatever social media platform you enjoy most, or just all of them if you really want. We won't mind. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, YouTube. Which one do you use, or do you use them all? If so, use one or all to tag us at DC Comics News with your score, your thoughts, your comments. Am I right? Am I wrong? Should we agree? Should we disagree? But really, when it comes down to it, the most important thing to all of us is that you read more comics. I've been your host, Seth Singleton. This has been DC Comics News, Spinner Rack number nine. Join me next time when I put my favorites from the DC Comics News Spinner Rack and share those scores and details with you. Thanks for listening.